Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you, as always, for stopping by and listening to my podcast. Today, I have the lovely Penny Thresher with me and I'm going to hand over to her to introduce herself. Hi everybody and hi Sarah, thank you very much for inviting me to take part in your podcast. Five years ago I had a my own little spiritual awakening. My own coach told me that he thought I'd make a really good coach. So I had heard about somebody who taught NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and I went along. He was giving a free day selling his courses to train other coaches. And I went along and something he said in the first half an hour just blew my mind. It was something I'd been looking for all my life. It was a spiritual understanding that made sense of everything for me. So it's called The Three Principles. But basically, I went on to train to be a coach. You can't get rich quick overnight when you're a coach. You know, it takes time to build up clients and all that. I did some volunteering locally with a local addiction charity. And then I gradually built up a little client base and was being quite successful with it. So I was helping a lot of people with anxiety, that kind of thing. Not really business coaching, more personal coaching. So from there, I was in a lot of groups on Facebook and I was in a particular group and I met two ladies in this group called Judy Brown and Leanne McDonald. They were doing a program based on this understanding uh, called My Mental Health Rocks. And basically we were taking a 90 minute session into schools based on the three principles of teaching children about their superpowers which is kindness and so it's just helping them with their mental health i signed up with them as their first facilitator so that was how i got to meet them so i did a two or three workshops in schools and then obviously the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown leanne and i got on like house on fire she's an amazing lady she's very dynamic very and very creative incredibly creative I don't really remember how it happened, but she knew that I wrote because I blog and I write on Facebook and on all the other places. Somehow she asked me if I would like to, she was doing a multi-author book and this would have been in the first year of lockdown, so 2020. So um, Leanne asked me and it was a, a real random collection of women that people that she knew from her, she's a coach and people that she'd met in various groups she was in. And I think there was about 23, 24 authors in that book. It's called The Divine Power of the Feminine Collective. We went and met when the book was published. We had a cover done of us all sitting on the beach in Northumberland, so which was rather nice. That was our first experience of doing a book together. She asked me if I'd edit all the chapters. So my history is that my dad was a typesetter years ago. He worked for the Mirror Group of Papers in the UK back in the 60s and 70s. And after getting made redundant two or three times, he set up his own typesetting business in the local town where we lived in Hertfordshire. And it was called Expert Composition. And he used to bring galleys of print home to proofread. And I used to proofread and he taught me all little proofreading marks and stuff. So I grew up proofreading with my dad and, and he introduced into me a love of words. My, both my parents were prolific readers anyway, so we all read. I read Lord of the Rings when I was about eight. <laughs> That's kind of where you I You sound went. a bit like me. I, I, I could read all the books that they started you on at primary school before I could get to pri- before I got to primary school. I love books. I love books. <laughs> My dad and I were very quite competitive. You, we could not play Scrabble together because if we had like two letters left each, we would sit and look at the ball for hours trying to place those letters. You know, it was quite an obsession, really. My parents split up when I was 16. That's the start of my chapter, which is where it takes me. But basically... 
by becoming an editor, I've moved back. I'm back in alignment with how I grew up with my dad. I feel like I'm in alignment. That's where the chapter ends, really. But that's how I did, how it happened. So Leanne and I have gone on. I think my dad thinks Summer Fairy was the 12th book we've done together. And now it's full-time business. Leanne has not moved on, but she's doing other things. So what we had done so far was she was, she was mainly the people she knew coming together. And then I would just do the editing, just do the editing. I would do the editing and, and I've contributed five chapters. I think this is my fifth chapter I've contributed. Um, all the books have been Amazon bestsellers. Leanne's done the publishing bit. Yes, it's fascinating. Going through that process has been really enlightening and really interesting. And I'm taking yes. it over now. I'm doing the whole thing now. So now I'm a book coach, editor, and I can take people from conception right through to publishing it's nice to have someone hold your hand oh, it makes you know. a huge difference penny yeah. it really does yeah. i mean when i talk about my first book the lady i found who she found me actually it's a long story but we ended up connecting working together exchanged four thousand emails between each other found the lady that we worked with who published and did all my book and don't get me wrong she did an absolutely fantastic job but she wasn't very well at the time and then it's just like the book's out there it's on it's on amazon but it's like well how do you promote it and that whole thing that the experience that I've just gone through, which has been amazing. So, you know, if people are listening and wanting to publish a book, I really would encourage you to initially work with somebody like Penny who knows what they're doing because there's so much that you don't understand that can help tremendously, that can save you so much time because somebody knows what they're doing. It might cost you more money, but actually you get a professional book and, or as you said, Penny, that hand-holding because I remember swapping a book with somebody that contacted me once and he said, um, oh, I'll buy your book if you buy mine. And this tomb from Amazon arrived and it was just like a long, long, long stream. It's seven or eight hundred pages long because the font size was so large and it was just like one long stream of text. So you couldn't actually read it. I never did read it because I, there was no break. There was nowhere to sort of rest your eyes. Yeah, uh, I think self-publishing had a really bad rep, you know, and it, and it wasn't there was a lot of rubbish on Amazon, but... I think now people are more aware. There's a lot of publishing houses out there at varying costs, you know. What I like to say is that I'm also my author's cheerleader. So, I'm, you know, if you need a cheerleader alongside you as you go through the process, you know, because every single author reaches the point of this isn't good enough. And it usually is. It's just fear speaking, you know. So that's part of my job description is cheerleader for the authors as well. And I, and I think absolutely, I say working with... Obviously, I hadn't met yourself, but working with Emma, as I had done, that support, I can hand on heart say, is invaluable. When you're writing stuff and you want somebody to cheer you along, to say that you've done something right. This is the coaching thing, isn't it, though, Penny? This is the whole coaching concept that when you are having coaching from someone, whether it's yourself or myself or whoever you're having coaching with... It's supporting that person. It's not going, oh, you got that wrong. Well, that's rubbish. You know, even if something does need changing, it's making suggestions or saying, could you put some extra information in here or could you reword this or how would this sound? So that person is still in control and supported and encouraged. I'm going to actually offer a 90-day programme because that's the other thing I find that you know, sometimes it takes over a year and it doesn't need to because the biggest thing you need is accountability but the whole thing about I'm, I'm using my coaching skills I'm using my editing skills and I'm putting it all together in a package to hold your hand through and hopefully at the end of 90 days you'll be well on your way to having your book published if it's not actually published at the end of 90 days and you've created your ideal job haven't you after all these years because actually when you read Penny's story <laughs> which do you want to sort of give a synopsis of your your backstory which led you to where you are today when I met Serena 
and we had a long chat, you know, before we got ahead with the book. And she told me her story about her dad thinking she was a fairy. And it got me thinking about my dad and how, you know, I feel reconnected with my dad now, even though he passed several years ago. Because she was obviously talking about the jobs that she'd had and how she burned out. And I mean, I was burned out at the end of my career. So that's got me thinking about my career. I didn't ever really think I had a career. I thought I just had a series of jobs. But when I writing this chapter was very cathartic for me because I really was able to look back and see very clearly that actually I worked very hard and I did have some pretty major achievements, starting with very little in my own eyes. I met this boy when I was exactly 13 and a half, okay? It was, it was six months from my birthday. This was back in the 70s. This was 1973, actually. He was gorgeous. <laughs> He was very tall. All the boys had long, dark hair, long, you know, long hair at the time. And it was better than the girls' hair normally. And he used to wear you know, bell-bottom jeans and denim jackets. And he was just gorgeous, you know. Oh, you've sold him to me. You've sold him to me already. <laughs> <laughs> but he was really gorgeous. So we went to a concert. My friend was going out with one of his friends. So that's how it happened, you know. And I just completely fell in love with him. But he didn't really ask me out. We were together that night, but it didn't. nothing came of it, you know. But I just fell in love and I was in that was it, I was in love. And we were friends, but we weren't a couple. And we used to go out in a big crowd, you know, so. But he worked in London for NatWest Bank, one of the big four banks in the UK at that time. When I had to make a decision about what to do, and I'd always wanted to be a teacher. For a long time, I wanted to be a teacher. And when my parents split up, it just all seemed too much to just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to go to university. I wasn't going to go to college or anything and I had a good clutch of O levels I had nine in total with a reasonably decent grades anyway but so everything just kind of my what I planned for my life had fallen apart the banks at that time were doing a really big recruiting push and that west one they had the bank manager in your wardrobe and so whenever you needed a bit of financial advice the bank manager would pop out of the wardrobe and give you the advice you needed you see I just thought it was cute. You know. It's a bit scary, really. Do you think he's hiding yeah, in there? Yeah, creepy, actually, yeah. So, I mean, now bank, my bank managers don't even know you exist, do they? Let's face it, you know. But I went to work in a very small branch, and I guess it was only about 20 staff in a, in a town in Hertfordshire. Not my town, one nearby. And actually, the bank manager, he knew every single customer personally, and he knew their kids' names, because that is how banking used to be. It was very personal. His name was Mr. Ted Stone and he, it was, he knew everybody, you know. It, because it was such a small branch, I learned everything. I was there just under a year and I learned everything, but I was longing to be in London. But the real reason I chose that bank over all the other banks was because this guy worked for that bank and that was why. <laughs> and eventually I left the small branch and went to work in a branch in the city of London and I got to travel with him every day on the train. <laughs> there was a little group of us that all travelled together. So to round that story up, I did actually eventually go start going out with him when I was about 18. Didn't last Oh, did long. you? No, I did. Oh. We didn't last very oh. long. I went out with him two or three. We used to go out as friends a lot. And then it grew into something more. It just developed. That killed it. <laughs> Once I went out with him, so five years, I'd like been totally in love with this boy. Oh, and, um, yes. And yeah, and then it, it, that just actually going out with him killed it. Yeah, the reality wasn't what you'd perceived it to be. I did, I did bump into him years later so with, with my first husband. And um, suffice it to say that we got on, re we did get on really well. 
and my husband got quite jealous and nine months later I had a baby. My, well, my first husband had had children and he didn't really want any more children, I sort of thought it was over but I think he got so jealous I think he thought well I'll give her a baby and that'll keep her happy. But Yeah, so you got you got your daughter which is awesome but you followed that didn't you? I'm going to say you detail it in the chapter in the book and you kind of, sort of went from there, you went into other jobs and you sort of worked in sort of banking and end up in IT and all sorts. At the age of 16, I made a decision to go into banking and because I was expected to have a good job and banking was considered a good job and, and you were supposed to be able to take your exams because of one of the first things I encountered was back in the 70s, if a boy went into banking, he had no choice but he had to do his exams to keep his job. But I said, told the bank, I wanted to do my, I was promised that yes, I'd be able to take my banking exams and then when I got into the bank, there was no provision for women to take their banking exams. That's outrageous, isn't it? Absolutely outrageous. Yeah, it was the 70s. I know, but you think about it and you just sort of think, how, how wrong is that? Even in the 90s, when I went to work for a, a national, I say national, international, they were, they were a US-owned recruitment agency. It was like the girls, the women wore skirts to the knee and sort of heeled shoes. Yeah, I was just going to say, we were not allowed. Yeah, well, I thought I'd that for a game of soldiers and I wore a trouser suit. And I thought, I'm quite happy for the blokes to wear skirts, so I'm wearing trousers. Nobody ever questioned No, me. well, we had very strict dress code rules when I went to work for NatWest and it was basically you were not allowed to wear trousers. You weren't allowed to wear stilettos. You had to wear reasonable shoes. You couldn't wear any sleepless tops and stuff, you know. So, yeah, there were very, very strict dress rules. And that, that went on for a long time in the banking world. I made a decision at the age of 16. That's what I was going to do. Well, I eventually ended up in London. And I ended up working for the Royal Bank Canada, of all things. And they had a department called the Trust Corporation. We were recording stocks and shares in big leather-bound binders. And I learned double entry bookkeeping. So I became an accountant. <laughs> so... <laughs> As you do. <laughs> fell into an accountant. So I didn't decide that. It just happened. Eventually, I did take an accountancy qualification. I did qualify as an accountant. Did you qualify as a sort of a chartered accountant or an AAT yeah. accountant? Not, not getting my banking exams and not having a piece of paper. It's become a theme of my life, not getting that piece of paper to prove that I was good at something. I spent my whole life chasing it, but, you know. And then I went to work at Stansted Airport for a company that looked after corporate aircraft. Now that's interesting. You, you've got to tell us who you who, who you met there, then, Penny, because that's fascinating. I really want to know about more about that. <laughs> I did. So I picked three in the in the thing. So I met Michael Jackson and I met Bill Clinton. Was someone else I put in there? You put um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I met Tom Cruise as well. So what did they do then? What did this business do? And how did you end up? You know, as you're in your capacity as an accountant, meet them. <laughs> well, the company looked after a corporate aircraft worldwide. They're still going. They started off as providing weather plans to pilots in America. Because in America, lots of people have little planes. And so he, he was actually, the guy that started the company was a weatherman. And he started providing weather packs to these pilots so they knew what the weather was on their flights. But it grew into this massive company. So at Stansted, they were a handling agent. So when a plane landed, they provide anything the plane needed, catering, fuel, anything that they need while they're on the ground, looking after the crews and everything. So it was cool. I did, and I had an airside license. I used to go out to the planes and help with the planes. And we were very small when I started. There was only five of us. So if we were busy with planes, that's what we did, you know. So 
when I left, there was, I don't know how many people were in the year, over 100 people probably in the UK, so and they're still going strong. But the company did change. It was like a family when I first went there, and as so often happens with corporate businesses, you know, it grew and grew and grew, and it just got too big, really. So basically, I started doing the IT because I liked it. You know, that often happens. It's often when, when IT first came to really factor in the workplace, Often the accountants were the ones that were using the first computers because the accounts were computerized and that grew. So when I went there, we had two computers. Each of them had less memory than my current iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they were really, they had no processing power whatsoever, you know. But by the end, then we we went to three and we networked them together and then the network grew. We got cert and it just went on and on and I just followed that through. And it all happened around the time my my first marriage broke down, which was useful because I got a big rise for taking on an official IT role you know there was a lot of other stuff going on around that time they took they got in a qualified accountant who wasn't really qualified and all that sort of thing but anyway I did that from 2001 until I left in 2014 and I did a lot of traveling so I I used to look after all the European offices so mainly Paris and Milan there's two in Milan Rome and two offices in Ireland so they were the main companies that I went to so you did a lot of sort of jet setting around and long hours and lots of travel. It was tough because I was little. She was sort of six, seven when I started, you know. I feel very privileged that I was able to have that travelling. You know, I got to know Paris really well and Milan. I walked around most of Milan in the time that I was going there. I got to stay in nice hotels. Although a lot of the time, because the offices were at the airports, I'd often stay in the airport hotel. So I'd literally go from airport to airport to airport. Many, many years ago, I went down to London and ended up in a job in London when computer graphics first came out. And I got a job with a company called MediaTek who were looking after the AVL Starburst and something else as well. So I would demonstrate. And they've got offices in, in Europe and... Uh, so they'd fly me all over and at 20 it sounded like really glamorous it was great to do it but it was so tiring it was exhausting it's just not as because you just it's a long commute basically so and it, i think you know i think this is sort of something that you alluded to you've alluded to previously that you resonated with serena because if anybody listens to the episode that i've done with gwen and serena or reads serena's story in the my, I, my dad thinks i'm a fairy book she found herself really lonely and that's the whole point of the book coming about wasn't it that she didn't want people to feel that they were alone. That's why she's brought all these amazing stories together so people can share and resonate with all our different stories. So you actually, you're not alone in going through all of this. You know, we've all had our tough times and, you know, it's taken you a long time to get to where you are now, hasn't it? I mean, you've had lots of things and you kind of followed your flow and have been sort of accepting of it along the way. But you ta- you have seized those opportunities which have arrived at the right time for you, haven't you? Yeah, I do. I, funny enough, I feel blessed now. I mean, I, like I say, I've always felt like I just sort of failed. The company paid for me to do my Microsoft exams, you know. But I never got the final certificate because I was permanently on call. And I did the course, but I was getting called at like 2am to help with IT problems and stuff. I was exhausted. And I failed the final exam and I could have gone back and retaken it and it didn't happen because something else happened with work, you know. I felt really, well, I was burned out. I was burned out. And the last five years there, I was burned out. You know, I had a young kid. And you know what they say about if you want something done, give it to a busy woman, you know. I was also chair of Zoe's PTA for 12 years. Oh, my gosh. Somebody tried to get me involved in something along those lines and I just thought, I can't do it. So I take my hat off to you. I think it's because I was a working mum. I felt that I was part of her life by doing what I was doing, you know. And I did enjoy it. I like the organisational aspect of it. But I can see now that I was... No wonder I was knackered, you know. It was just, like, unbelievable. And I also had a hobby 
of some direct marketing by working for a pampered chef who used to go out and do cooking parties. Oh, yes. I did that for eight years. And the pampered chef products are great. It's such a shame they pulled out the UK. I've still got a house full, so <laughs> I'm all right. But um, I did that for eight years. I, I built a team. I built a team. I don't, I don't know how I did it, you know. But I actually... Gosh, I, you're very driven. It, well, I didn't feel driven, really. I did love that because I love to cook. And that was, you know, so I did love that. And pampered chef were very special. They were really... I, I've worked with other marketing companies since while I was trying to find out what I wanted to do. And none of them quite had the ethos that Pampershev had. I loved working for Pampershev, you know, it was really cool. But I just promoted to director and that's when they made me redundant from the big company. And then a few months later, Pampershev pulled out of the UK. So I had no idea who I was. I didn't, because I'd identified as the IT person. And when you're in something like IT, everybody expects you to fix their computers. <laughs> and then I was the Pampershev lady. It was the coaching that you said, because, I mean, that is the power of coaching. And coaching helps you then find out who you are, what you want to do. And you say, certainly with all my sort of career history and background in recruitment, that's what I love is, 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 is pulling all that information out to help people get that clarity. But you did that and you worked that out for yourself, didn't you? I kind of, yeah. I did a couple of years trying different companies. I tried makeup products. I tried another food product which is herbs and spices and oils I tried all these different things and nothing really clicked there's always something not just slightly off you know and I really was just feeling lost I didn't know I started up my own little IT company called Pink Geek and that ticked over you know I did a lot of um, installing antivirus and stuff like that you know boring stuff but I did I thought I wasn't managing my time very well because I wasn't accountable to anybody and I wasn't managing my time I thought I need some time management training so I put a request out on Facebook and a friend of a friend who lived in Spain, he said, Ian said, I can help you with that. And we went into Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, it's a well-known book. We got to chapter three and we just went off on life coaching. And during the course of that, there was a lot going on with Zoe and stuff at the time. But he just, it was what I needed, that's what I needed. I needed to know, to discover a bit more about who Penny was. We did it fortnightly on Skype for, for six months. At the end of it, you know, Ian says to me, everything you do is about helping people. Have you thought about coaching? I'm like, oh, man, I thought, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do that. But when I thought about it, so when I was at the doing the IT job, um, I had my own office. At least half the company would call into my office at some point during the day, and I was coaching. I don't think I knew I was coaching, and I'm sure they didn't think I was coaching. They were just wasting time in my office, you know. But And obviously building a team with Pampa Chef as well, you're, you're coaching then as well. You know, I was coaching people and being coached. It got me thinking, and that's how I ended up in Ware in Hertfordshire on that rainy, wet Wednesday morning back in 2017 and heard something that just changed my life forever. And it's being able to hear that, though, isn't it? It's being able to pick up and it is taking note of what resonates and then seizing that opportunity and making it happen. And it really was a full on spiritual awakening. It was an enlightenment. It was just like, oh, my God. And luckily it aligned with me being a coach. So that was the first time. Oh, yeah, I was 58. So between 16 and 58, I never chose my job. I fell into every job, every position. So from making the decision to join the bank, making the decision to be a coach. They're the only two times in my life that I've chosen. And even the book coaching, I fell into that as well. But that was actually the best happenstance that could have happened, you know, so. Yes, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's amazing. But it is, it's, it's really interesting. I, I personally don't think enough is done in schools. It never has been, still isn't, to sort of help people. And I'm actually working on a, a well, I've got my book that I 
published five years ago, but I've got another one that's aimed at parents of students to get encouraged curiosity because it's all about being curious, understanding what roles are out there, what opportunities are out there, what makes you tick. Because I've just, all the stuff that we've been talking about, it's really interesting because right at the start, you said that you really, really wanted to become a teacher. Now, coaching isn't teaching, but it still sits in that same kind of arena in so much that you're, you're not an engineer underneath a car, you're not a submariner. It's still in that working with people, education, teaching, supporting, coaching, mentoring, it fits in with all of that. And you've pulled together all the stuff. I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, everything happens for a reason and all those skills and all that expertise that you've gathered together brings you to the point that when suddenly it's right, it's suddenly there, it all falls into place. I mean, I did a similar thing when I went self-employed in 2009 and then sort of qualifying as a coach in 2012. You just follow that instinct. And if you trust that and go with your flow, it all falls into place, doesn't it, Penny? Lockdown for me and my career just, like, it just took off alongside Leanne, you know. And I remember sitting back sort of, must be late last summer, and just thinking, oh, my God, look what I'm doing. You know, it was kind of like, wow. I was was kind of blown away by it. And, And I've had moments of you know, I can't do this. And I don't have a piece of paper to say that I can edit, you know. <laughs> but people are reading my books and they like them. Yes, to excuse the pun, you're living proof. <laughs> yeah, finally. You can do it. Finally. And you've bound together all your expertise and knowledge <laughs> into a great tomb of uh, offerings, which is awesome. So, you know, obviously we've talked about the book and how you've come about, and obviously your chapter isn't in My Dad Thinks I'm a Fairy, along with mine, along with... Oh, it's just amazing that Serena sort of pulled us on, brought us all together, and it's just lovely hearing the feedback and knowing that we've got a number one bestseller on Amazon as well, Penny. It's been a joyous experience. It's really been joyous editing that book there. I mean, I've loved all the books I've done, but this one somehow, it's just, it is joyous. Absolutely, I've really enjoyed editing it. Best bit about being in it is you get to read them all first. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I know Pete will be listening to this. Pete, my podcast producer, and he gets to listen to all the episodes that I record. <laughs> so it's a quite a nice job because it's part of your job. You're absorbing it and you're hearing it all the time. But you generally, Penny, I mean, given that, obviously, yes, we've been talking about the book and your history and your, your journey and where you're at. And obviously now you it, it's all come together and it's working and it's making you happy. But what else in life makes you happy? And what sort of top tips would you say... You give my listeners for things to make them happy. Have you got any sort of anything you can share just so that we can wrap up? My husband and I made the decision to relocate. So I've always lived down south. So I was born in North London. We lived in Hertfordshire, on the Hertfordshire Essex border. And it was a massive decision. And I never thought I'd be brave enough to make that decision. But I think that is just, we'd always dreamed of living up north. And you just have to, there comes a point when you have to say, okay, well, I'm going to go for it. I'm not just going to sit there and dream about it. I'm going to do it. So that's what I say to people, just do it. If you've got a dream, just do it. And one of the things, I was tied to that job and that salary. And when I got made redundant, I thought, oh, my God. How I? I mean, obviously, I got redundancy, but it wasn't a lot compared to what I was earning, you know. So it didn't, we couldn't magically use that money to move, you know. But but we looked at different ways. We looked at renting. We looked, But in the end, we just had to bite the bullet and say, yeah, this is what we want. And you know what? Our life up here is so much better. It's so much happier. You know, it's, we live by the sea. You know, it's a Victorian seaside town. We're like 10 minutes from the Lake District. Uh, Yorkshire's on our door, doorstep. You know, we're actually where sort of Yorkshire, Lancashire and Cumbria all come together, you know. 
Yeah, but if you if you have the courage, get, realizing your dreams will make you happy. Don't sit wishing your whole life that you've done something. No, absolutely, I totally agree with you. It is. It's about taking that step, and you know what? When you do, the universe will support you in one way or another. But you, it is about taking that step because you, whatever you think your comfort zone is, because you, it's familiar, you're not progressing. You're not moving any further forward. Everything will continue to be the same. But it's when you take that step out, and I'm very much looking forward to making a move to the coast as well. I just can't wait. I never actually planned to be as long as I have been in the house that I'm in. But things, life happens in the way. Well, Morecambe Bay is stunning. It, I mean, it's a stunning place to live. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Well, that's on my doorstep. I literally walk down the road and it's there. You know, I can virtually see the bay from my house. So, yeah, so just just do it. Yeah, my dream is to have a room that I'm recording podcasts in, writing in and doing my work and whatever it is I'm doing. And I can have, I've got a sea view. <laughs> that's what I want. So how do people get in touch with you? If they, if they have got this burning desire to write a book, get their story, there's a book in everybody. They always said there's a book in everyone. So how do they get in touch with you? Well, my website is cornerhousewords.co.uk. And my email is penny at cornerhousewords.co.uk. Or they can find me on Facebook as Penny Thresher. Uh, there is a page for the Cornerhouse Words as well. If you're going to add me on Facebook, just please send me a message so that I know where you found me. I don't accept, you know, if nobody contacts me, then, you know. So that's that's me. Easy to find. I don't hide anywhere, so... <laughs> no, I don't think you could call me hiding. It's not the person that hides either. So if anybody wants to connect you, just put Sarah Jane Ayler, you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> but uh, oh, Penny, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review, follow, subscribe, whatever it is you do on your uh, platform. And until next time, thank you for being a fantastic listener because I appreciate every one of you that downloads my episode and uh, sends happiness around the globe. And I hope you've been inspired by this episode. You go out and, write and order that book. My dad thinks I'm a fairy too. Yay! <laughs> right, over and out. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.